Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome to the party. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And later in the show, should the Texans sign a certain veteran quarterback? And did the franchise really take another L this week? Thanks to Deshaun Watson. Yep, he's still causing damage. We'll get to all of that. But first, Sean. The Astros played this really tough second baseman in spring training. You heard of this little five-foot kid named Altavi or something? I, I think that's how you say it. He's killing us. <laughs> yeah, he'll kind of do that to you, right? He's uh, You think he's uh, ready for the season to start? You think he's legit? <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. And he's playing for Team Venezuela in this WBC thing. And I'm curious, do you think the WBC helps or hurts players getting ready for the season, especially this season when they're playing without the shift or the pitch clock? It's real weird. I think it depends on the player. You know, probably for some veteran guys, it may not make a difference because at the end of the day, it's all about just getting your work in, getting the reps in, swings, throws, that sort of thing. But maybe for the younger guys that don't have a routine or just trying to start a routine, going from the end of a season to an off season and back into spring training, maybe it can be kind of a thing. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked either way. And sometimes you can see it and sometimes it rears its ugly head for quite a long time, you know, into uh, the start of the regular season. So I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, we see that from a number of these guys sprinkled throughout that are participating in the WBC for their respective countries. Um, Sometimes it takes, you know, a couple of weeks, a month or so to kind of shake the cobwebs off and to get your mind right. Yeah. The other part about the whole deal is, Altuve and some of these other WBC players, because they're not playing in the regular spring training with these rules, they're not getting used to the rules. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and um, I think it was the day that we talked about that. Altuve was asked about that numerous times at his locker at spring training. It's like, I think it was Adam Spillane that asked him from uh, Sports Radio 610, but was it, you know, hey, you're going to go to the WBC. They don't have these rules set in place. And Altuve was like, You know, I'll just deal with it when I get back kind of a thing. It's not that big of a deal. These are things as a hitter, though, and really even as a pitcher. Never mind the shift, never mind the bigger bases, but in terms of the pitch clock, the pitch clock and the hit clock, if you will, one and the same, it's going to become an internal clock. All of these pitchers, all of these hitters that are going to have to adjust, guys like Altuve, guys like Tucker, guys like Framber Valdez, so on and so forth, you're going to get that feel, and it's going to become second nature. You've developed a routine once your body, your mind has kind of figured it out. So you can play these games with yourself, the WBC. There's no question about that, and I think we're fools if we think that they're not. I would say I think they're kind of being foolish if, in fact, they're not trying to have that internal clock going inside their head when they're on the mound or in the batter's box. We'll probably bring up Altuve in a little bit with another little storyline that we're going to discuss, but I want to ask you about Hunter Brown, but there's just a quick reminder that we're super close to 1,000 subscribers, which is huge for this show, so subscribe and put us over the top into 1,000, and for anybody watching, you can also listen on the run by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. But, Sean? we got to have a prize for our 1,000th subscriber. A T-shirt, maybe? Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm going to know all because sometimes I see <laughs> that thousand, you know, which subscriber has just subscribed. And sometimes you look up and you've got five more subscribers or 10 more subscribers. And 
I, I don't get a notification on that. I, I'll have I my wife make a few t-shirts just in case, and we'll see if we can find out who you are. Yeah, if if, if I figure it out, if I know, just uh, I'll put the word out that let, let you guys know, and you guys can uh, tell tell us where to send it to. Uh, Sean, are you worried about Hunter Brown's spring training control issues? This is five walks and a hit batter in two innings already. No, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm not. I was... I was really thinking about this the last couple of days, just driving around because I knew you were going to ask me about this, presumably. And I know somebody else is probably going to ask me about this. I mean, he's young. Okay. And there's a small sample size and very quickly we became very comfortable with that small sample size from Hunter Brown last year. He was tremendous. There's no doubt about it. Now that he's struggling, you know, with his control to start spring training, Everybody's kind of talking about it. Look, it's the start of spring training. I mean, we're not in the heart of June, July, August. I mean, it's spring training. It's a young guy. And you never know what these guys are working on. So I I always look at it from that angle, number one and number two. Number three, again, he's young. And I think he's maybe just trying to, you know, find himself, find some stuff that works. He's having to adapt to some things. He's probably feeling a little bit of pressure. I mean, he didn't read the paper. He didn't read a blog. He didn't listen to podcasts. He didn't listen to, you know, sports talk radio every once in a while. He doesn't hear through the grapevine that people are talking about this guy, him being a dude, the dude this year, somebody that we're all amped up to see, you know, in, in, for a full season, he's young. He's probably feeling a little bit of pressure, and I'm going to give him some time because, again, it's just spring training. So I'm not freaking out about it. The guy's got good stuff. He's got a great makeup, a good body, good frame. He's on a great team with great coaches. He's in the best possible situation, Robert, to succeed, and he had the opportunity to learn from one of the very best to ever do it in Justin Verlander last year. So I'm not worried at all about him. Man, I lost about six hours of sleep last night over it. I've just been ruminating, pacing back and forth in my living room. Dude, if this is Luis Garcia or Jose Akiti, nobody cares. That's the bottom line, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even – I won't go that far, no, because, you know, let's, let's you, think You'd about... worry if Akiti or Garcia was having control issues right now? You'd be I, concerned? I'd worry maybe a little bit more about – just issues. I'm not going to say control issues, but just issues pitching on the mound. I mean, if they're not looking good, they're not looking good. Hunter Brown right now, he's not looking good, you know, but I also don't know what he's working on. But I, I'd said like, yeah, if it's if it's anybody else, if it's Garcia or Kitty, Javier, whoever, I don't care. I, I, I would be a little bit more concerned if it was guys that had kind of been there, done that, and that know who they are, know what they do bring to you know, the mound each and every fifth, sixth day because of just that. And so I I would worry a little bit more, but then just from a grand scheme of things, like, you know, Hunter Brown's almost still like icing on the cake, right? Because you feel so darn good about the rest of this rotation because we've seen the progression of each and every one of these guys over the course of the last two, three, four years of them being in the system and contributing to this team. So you can excuse a hiccup here or there, but there are high expectations for four or five of these guys to continue to do what, they're, what they've been doing and some of them to take the next step and become a dude. Because you no longer have Justin Verlander. You don't have Garrett Cole. You don't have all these guys that have been there and anchored the the rotation for years. So 
Yeah, if it was another guy, I'd be a little bit more concerned because it's Hunter Brown. And for all the reasons that I just said, I'm not. And thank goodness, you know, outside of Lance McCullers, knock on wood, you know, everybody else kind of seems to be just kind of rolling along. And I know there's a few of them participating in the WBC, but nobody's really struggling out there. And again, it's still too early for me to worry about anybody really to this point. Jump in the comments if you agree with Sean or disagree with me or whatever you want to do. But big, big, big question for you. The Astros made me think about this question this offseason with their incredible run these last few years. So this is what I wanted to ask you, Sean. Mm -hmm. Who is the best Astro of all time? Because that answer might have changed for the diehard Astro fan or follower. What do you think? Right now, today, like, forget about future stuff. Greatest Astro of all time. Is that what you're asking? Yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> Craig Biggio's Mike, the guy for me. And for a multitude of reasons, really, because I'll start with his makeup. Great character and the embodiment of what a baseball player is. Integrity, hard work, effort, the willingness to do absolutely anything his club needs of him. If he would have played New York or Chicago or L.A., like the amount of money that maybe he could have commanded in the course of his career. This is a guy who was not known as a power hitter, but still hit 20-plus home runs in eight consecutive seasons. This is a guy who started his career as a catcher, who transitioned to second base, who transitioned because the team needed him to and his bat, his bat was still valuable valuable enough and his character in the clubhouse was still valuable enough they needed him on the field every day played freaking center field for him and then went back to second and you know he did whatever his team needed him to do and he's a hall of famer because of it a great base runner a great overall hitter um with a little bit of pop and a great average hitter you know? okay okay um, let me stop you right there i'm gonna stop you i gotta stop you at some point because altuve is the best astro of all time flat out right now he zips past Biggio because of his postseasons not just the championships but his clutch hitting the clutch hitting between you know all these postseasons next to Biggio I just got to disagree with you on this and it's still amazing to me he's second all-time in postseason home runs only behind steroided up Manny Ramirez you know Biggio's number two it's not an easy decision for me but look I mean Biggio and Altuve's numbers pretty much are identical. And the difference is the clutch stuff. And then I might surprise you by having Bagwell and Berkman tied for third. Berkman. Their regular season offensive numbers identical, but Bagwell has a big defensive and base running edge while Berkman pulls into a tie because, again, I got to count postseason. And if you're clutching the postseason, we know Bagwell and Biggio weren't. And Berkman and Altuve, just light years ahead of those two guys. I can totally see you putting Altuve right there. And I maybe it's just an internal rule for me. I mean, the guy's still playing. That's why I prefaced your question with a question like, are you talking about right now, today, nothing future-wise? I mean, Jose Altuve could never play another game as a Houston Astro. And I, I really wouldn't give you much pushback on that because – Obviously, yeah, the postseason numbers are there. He's got two World Series under his belt. Biggio doesn't have any of those. He's got an MVP under his belt. Biggio never won an MVP. He's got these gold gloves. He's got silver slugger. You know, all of these accolades, there's no doubt about it. And you know what? Maybe is the game just a little bit more difficult nowadays than it used to be when Biggio and Bagwell played? I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's a generational type of a debate that we can have with any player from any era, any decade. But I would not argue with you at all 
um, on anybody that you just mentioned, with the exception of maybe Lance Berkman. If I was to like power rank these guys, you know, right now, for me, I'd probably go Biggio, Altuve, Bagwell, and then Berkman. And then we can start talking about Jose Cruz, you know, being up there as maybe a guy to round out my top five. But Berkman's kind of a stretch for me to talk about, like, is the greatest Astro ever. Maybe for a lot of the same reasons you disagree with me on Craig Biggio in regard to because of the postseason stuff. It's hard to argue with any individual player that has the amount of accomplishments that Jose Altuve has relative to the guys that he'd be going up against in franchise history. Because we know in franchise history, the Astros have two series and Altuve's largely responsible for both of those. And the World Series trips, the Championship Series, AL or NL, regardless, it's Altuve. He wins out in terms of the accolades. But I think it's a great debate, man. I, I won't argue with you one bit. When Altuve decides to hang it up, if it's in you know, five years, if it's three years, hell, if it's eight years down the road and the guy is just you know, on the brink of 3,000 career hits, yeah. He'll go down as the greatest Astro of all time, I think. Yeah, to me, it, it, it became over with with the second championship. Um, it might might have been over with before that, putting Altuve ahead of Biggio. And I and, can't believe that after eight years ago, we just put Biggio in Cooperstown, talking about him as one of the greatest second basemans of all time. And the reason I put Altuve and Biggio ahead of Berkman and Bagwell even though those two were actually better hitters, if you look at OPS, their OPS is all in the 900s, and, and I get all that. But the fact that Altuve and Biggio were playing two of the more difficult positions in the middle infield, and I'm not just talking about both of them playing second base, but as we know, Biggio also played catcher at the yeah. beginning of his career. So I, I gave them a little bit of an edge because they were playing those positions, and they were such leaders. Biggio was there to set the tone even before Bagwell showed up. Even a few years before he got to the Astros, Biggio yeah. was already setting the tone. And same with what Altuve set the tone for all of these guys and what happened in these last few years with the Bregmans and the Correas and the Springers. It was Altuve that started the whole thing. I'm not taking anything away from Altuve. I think he has been of the highest, the utmost uh, character, you know, has represented the Astros extremely well. I, I, I don't know if he could do it better. Um, you know, for a lot of people, not for me, but I'm, I'm just kind of talking in generalities here. For a lot of people, obviously, the cheating scandal is going to be at the forefront of their minds when you have these conversations and things like that. And I'll just say that that does stand out to me in regards to the way that Altuve, Bregman, um, and other players not named Carlos Correa handled that. Um, I, I thought it was a huge part of Correa's legacy and really makeup. That helped him, I think, really become the guy that he was beyond for the Astros and how he handled the response for the Astros and the cheating scandal with the moxie, you know, and the um, just the stern way that he was not going to let anybody throw his teammates under the bus unless as you recall you know he said you gotta have the facts if you don't have the facts you know keep their names out of your mouth you know he goes all will smith on them but i i think if altuve maybe would have taken a bigger step and a more of a lead there maybe for me that would have been a little bit of an easier decision you know or uh, easier roll, to roll off the tongue and say Altuve in this conversation. But beyond that, man, Altuve's been an exemplary leader 
and of the utmost character. And when you think baseball, when you think Houston, when you think greats, whether it's stats, accomplishments, whatever the case may be, Jose Altuve is certainly going to be near the top every single time in every conversation. And as I always bring up, go to any other organization, you're not going to find any group of second basemen better than the Astros. Joe Morgan's in the Hall of Fame. Biggio's in the Hall of Fame. Altuve's going to be in the Hall of Fame. We had Nelly Fox for a second and a half. At the end of his career, he's a Hall of <laughs> yeah. Famer. I believe, I think Nelly's a Hall of Famer. And then also, yep. Jeff Kent should be in the Hall of Fame. So just an incredible collection of oh, second Kent, basemen. Kent will be one day. Kent will be one day. That's a great point by you, though. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about it from a franchise from a franchise standpoint in regards to like positions, but I mean, you were so right. That would be awesome. It'd be a great exercise, right? You talk about like a little baseball history in a nutshell, just doing that exercise. If you learn a lot about the history, if you're, if you're interested in that type of stuff, you know, the greatest positions by franchise, like what franchise has the greatest amount of first baseman or shortstops or third baseman, so on and so forth. The Astros certainly have to be up there, as you mentioned, in terms of second baseman. And you know what? I'd probably even throw them pitchers in there as well over the time. You know, you consider the fact that over the years, you're like, wow, <laughs> the Astros at one point in time, you know, they had Roger Clemens. They had Andy Pettit come through. They had Randy Johnson come through. Justin Verlander. You had Mike Scott. You had Nolan Ryan. All these guys, they might be in the conversation for some of the greatest pitchers of all time in Major League Baseball history to wear an Astro uniform. J.R. Richard, Roy Oswald, yeah. uh, Joe Sambi. Uh, I mean, not Joe Sambi. Joe Necro wasn't bad either. Um, yeah, just a load of great. Yeah. Larry Dirk, Larry Durker, you can throw him. He's pretty good himself. Don Don Wilson had a couple of no hitters, but uh, let's move to the Texans. A couple of things happened just as we we're about to record. One of them, they signed veteran safety and special teams contributor MJ Stewart to two year, six million dollar deal. MJ, forty one tackles, two fumble recoveries last season. What did you think of that? I like it. Uh, I liked the contributions from MJ. I wish he would have saw more time on the field sooner, but again. What are you going to do? I mean, the past is thankfully the past in regards to the, the last couple of three years and the regimes that the Houston Texans have trotted out. So I try not to do that to myself. I, I feel like, you know, we're going to start to see this stuff, like maybe not contractually because, I mean, we, you might have to. But a lot of the guys that, you know, wore a Texan uniform this past season will be back in a Texan uniform to start training camp. And I think you might find a lot of people, you know, being a little bit surprised. Like, man, I didn't know this guy was capable of that. Or I didn't know he could do this. Man, I didn't know he was that good. Well, you know what? It's because it was a crap system. You know, crap coaches. You know, it was amateur hour across the board. And it was by design. And that's what makes it the most depressing. But MJ Stewart. He's a baller, man, and he is a big reason why there's a number of those guys, why we like and love and are so happy that the Texans have kept Frank Ross because they've got some dudes uh, that aren't afraid to do the dirty work, that aren't afraid to get down in, uh, you know, just any way possible. Scratch, claw, special teams is my way to, you know, get on a football field, show you what I can do. I'm going to do it, and I'm certainly going to do it for a guy like Frank Ross. I mean, Blake Cashman is another one. MJ Stewart, certainly. Those guys embody uh, the type of player that Frank Ross and the Houston Texans are looking for from a special team standpoint. And hey, who was the guy that ended up having to step up late last year, ended up starting a couple of the last 
three, four, five ball games for the Texans at corner, who was known for his special teams prowess. When it was the return guy, his name um, escapes me for a second. Who was the the, the the really good punt return guy for the Texans? He ended. He turned out to be a pretty darn good corner too. Got you a couple picks towards the end of the season, but you wouldn't have known his name otherwise if not for his contributions on special teams. And you know, look at my dumbass. I forgot his name, but <laughs> my point still stands. Yeah, I tried to forget last season as much as possible. (laughs) I'm going to have to look that one up. The Texans continued to get punished for the clown show prior to Casario. So this happened right before we started. On Thursday, they lost a fifth-round pick and $175,000 for a salary cap violation during the COVID season. The league said the Texans provided Deshaun Watson with about twenty. $6,000 $6,000 for a membership to an offsite athletic facility when their own facility was closed and he couldn't work out at NRG Stadium. Sean, the Texans claimed they gained no competitive advantage. I mean, it just thinks that, you know, Deshaun Watson, presumably for one last time, you know, reared his ugly head, <laughs> you know, and the Texans have to, uh, you know, suffer for it. But you know, it's a fifth round pick, 175K instead of 11 picks. You know, now you've got uh, 10. Looking back and and how everything, you know, transpired during the course of COVID and little as we, we didn't know at all at the time, you know, what Deshaun Watson was up to, but presumably this extra facility this that he was training at, I think it was the Houstonian, that was also the place in which the Texans apparently, you know, if you believe reports, some guys now that are former Texans, help Deshaun Watson secure rooms and clientele for his uh, massage fantasies and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just one of those situations, man, where if you're the Texans, looking back, yeah, you wish you would have put your foot down and just kind of killed everything and said, hey, if you can't train, you can't train. You know, nobody else can either. It's COVID. Suck it up and deal with it kind of a thing. And you'd have a fifth-round pick and $175,000 today. Normally, I would say uh, it's a fifth-round pick. Who cares? However, the Texans own the second pick in the fifth round, which means this could be a fourth. It could have been a fourth round pick because they have, keep in mind, three sixth round picks, which they could have easily used one or two of those, maybe all three of them if they needed to, to vault into the fourth round if they saw a guy that they wanted. So in essence, this could have been a fourth round pick that they just lost. Yeah, it could be. I mean, that's a great way to think of it. And you should think of it like that. I mean, because you you can't just, oh, we've got 11 picks. We're going to take one. You know, we're still fine. No, I mean, they're all valuable. When I first heard that report today, um, I immediately went back to about a month, month and a half ago, if you recall, whenever it might even be less than that time is just a crazy thing. It's a warp for me. But the last the second to last time that we had Nick Casario available to the media, I think it might have been uh, D'Amico's introduction or something like that. When a member of the media asked Nick Casario about why this job was attractive to a guy like D'Amico Ryans and to other top candidates in which they interviewed them all, Casario cited good, young, talented players that they've acquired via the draft and free agency over the course of the last couple of years. But also this year's draft capital. And I thought it was interesting that he'd said, you know, yeah, the 10 or 12 picks that we had. It's like, stop playing with me, Nick. You know how many picks you have going into the draft? It's 11. But I think in his mind, he was preparing or, you know, already prepared to maybe 
lose this pick. If you read the report, you know, the Texans, they, they were going to lose a fourth-round pick that they appealed, and then the NFL said, okay, a fifth-round pick, and then the cash, and that's what they settled on. So it was almost like in Nick's mind, like they, he was prepared to lose this pick already, but I didn't know that. I, I just took that as like, okay, well, he's preparing himself for like, you know, scenarios in which he might trade back, gain more picks, hence the 12, or trade up in which he would have to use another pick, which would make them have less. So he's prepared for that. But when you know that the NFL is going to take one of those, you know, a month, two, three, four, six months in advance, who knows how long Nick and the Texans have been prepared for this. I feel a little less, you know, worse about that, knowing that than this being something out of the blue. I can't believe we all forgot about this, that, you know, something like this should have been coming because we've known that this was going to be under review for a while. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask you this because it's become part of the conversation this week. I don't know if I buy this being a real thing, but I'll ask you, Sean, should the Texans sign Jimmy G? No, don't sign Jimmy G. Don't sign. Don't you're not going to sign any of these guys anyway, but you don't need a, you don't need a seat at the table. You don't need to waste your time thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo or Lamar Jackson or any other free agent quarterback out there that you're going to have to give 35 to 45, maybe $50 million to. It's not going to happen. This is all, that is not a part of the plan. At at season's end, we all talked about draft position. Why? We were convinced, and rightfully so, that the next quarterback that will mean anything to this franchise is going to come to you via the NFL draft. It's just that simple. It has nothing to do with the free. We knew Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens were going to have issues contractually because it already played out the summer before. We knew Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be available on the market because he's always available on the market. He's always hurt. Who's going to be the team to take that risk? The Texans are not in position to take more and unnecessary risk than they already have over the course of the last three, four, five years of their organization's existence. It's just not going to happen. And the fact that people are talking about this and entertaining this and throwing out all of these possible scenarios, it's ridiculous to me. Like, focus on the task at hand. It comes down to the draft. And you have to trust Nick Casario and the Houston Texans to make the best possible pick. If it's C.J. Stroud, if it's Bryce Young, one of those two guys, presumably, if it's Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, I don't know. And I don't care. It's whoever they think is the very best. For them in this franchise, that's going to be a franchise difference maker. I'm going to simplify it. You, you took about a, two minutes or so to say all that <clears> stuff. <throat> I'm going to simplify it this way. The only way Jimmy G is supposed to come in and, and, and be your quarterback is if you bring in projects like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. You're, you're picking number two. And why, would don't, he, why would he you, agree to that deal? You don't need this drafted project quarterback in this draft when you're picking number two and you've got – Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud that aren't necessarily project quarterbacks at the top of the draft. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you just mentioned it, though. I mean, like, there's no reason Jimmy Garoppolo would take that deal. Like, it's he's not a fit for the Texans. Neither is Lamar Jackson. It shouldn't happen. So these reports, you know, that the Texans should make a push for Jimmy G or that, hey, now there's, you know, three teams, according to reports, that are going to be in on Jimmy Garoppolo. That, that to me, is a little concerning because if I'm the Houston Texans, like, 
you're, you're straying from, you know, the task at hand here. That tells me, yeah, you don't think either one of these quarterbacks that, that are going to be available to you, and really, they're all available to you. You can move up in, to number one, screw the Colts, screw the Panthers, whoever else you think could possibly trade up with the Bears. You could offer the very best deal to the Bears, period, hands down, if it's the guy that you believe is going to be a difference maker for your franchise. And if you're talking Jimmy G, that tells me the Texans don't believe that that guy exists in the draft. And I'm a little concerned because for my money, that guy's Bryce Young. I don't care what size he is. I think the dude's a baller. And I think we're going to be talking about him for a very long time. Well, if you don't like any of these quarterbacks, it's pretty simple. Just don't draft a quarterback. Don't sign some veteran guy that's going to get you to eight wins. Just draft other positions. Be a below 500 team. Get a high pick for next year. You don't, you don't want to get a quarterback that's a veteran quarterback that's going to make you mediocre so you can't draft the guy that you need to have next year. But and as I've said it, and I'll say it again, I'll say it again, I'll say it again. You keep drafting quarterbacks until you get one. And you might not think any of these four guys are the guy, but I'm like, you, 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 it's the most important position in football by a billion. So you, I just think you got to draft one of these guys and it's it's not like there there isn't a big contingent out there that thinks a couple of these guys could be somebody. There's always a guy that, you know, you're not expecting or there's always somebody in the draft that ends up being a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. Uh, almost it rarely happens where it isn't. The, the times where it happens where there isn't a guy in the draft, it seems like the Texans <laughs> drafted high in those drafts. The, the, the David Carr draft, there was not really a guy. The Genevian Cloudy draft, there wasn't really a guy. And the Mario Williams, there wasn't really a guy. But usually there's a quarterback that comes out of the draft that's pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, there's been some, you know, pretty weak quarterback draft classes, you know, over the course of the last 10, 15 years. But more times than not, that dude's in there. You just got to find him. And it's about right time, right place, you know, right situation. I, you could not convince me. You couldn't convince me right now, today, yesterday, tomorrow, that Bobby Slowick doesn't sit at his desk after reviewing film or – uh, Gerard Johnson or anybody on that offensive staff that is not licking their chops having watched film of one of the four, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, or Anthony Richardson. Couldn't convince me of it. One of those guys sees something, and like every other coach, thinks that they can get them to where they're the difference maker. They're the guy. They can teach them. And if any team is in a position – to groom a quarterback while acquiring great talent around them. It's the Houston Texans. I'll tell you this right now, like Jimmy Garoppolo, there's a market for him. Clearly there is. But do you think he's looking to go to the Houston Texans, a team that's not going to offer him a four-year, $150 million deal like everybody else is getting, like Geno Smith just got? Like fifty-two million in the first year for Geno Smith. You don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's sitting there thinking, like, I'm worth that? Well, the Texans aren't going to give that to you, and if they do, they're stupid. And you're going to groom a quarterback? No way, no way. The Texans need to get their guy. That guy's in this draft for them. And you know what? In three, four years, if it doesn't work out with him, then you know what? Go get you another guy, but maybe the talent around that guy that's just not a fit is better and is ready to win, and then we can talk about a free agent acquisition, but not right now. It's not the right time or place or fit for the Texans. Yeah, I, I just I don't 
really believe this should be a talking point because I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's a lot of people just trying to I agree. Make, yeah. make stuff up. Yeah. Uh, we're a couple days away from Selection Sunday. How important do you think it is for the Houston Cougars not just to be a number one seed, but to be the number one of the number one seeds? Is it uber important? Like, I wouldn't say so, and I'll fall back on this, and I, I, I do believe it, that, you know, you want the best possible path for you to get through the tournament and get to the final destination here. Houston championship game period but because there's not that one team you know or two really great teams that appears to be a buzzsaw that could be a problem down the road you know when you get to the elite eight or the final four for them like I won't say it's like uber important at this point in time because Kelvin Sampson said it all year I believe it just having watched the games that I have you know I've seen Purdue I've seen Kansas I've seen Duke I've seen all these teams at the top, Alabama, we've seen them a number of times this year. You know, if they didn't have Brandon Miller, I don't know where they'd be. You know, if he wasn't such a phenomenal baller, uh, I don't I don't know what kind of team they would be. I think it's a really steep drop-off uh, beyond him with Alabama. Well, the reason I bring it up is not the other number one seeds, obviously, because you're not going to play them until you get to the Final Four anyway. And right. You're going to have to go through them if they're any good anyway, and they get there. But you know, the reason why you, you you think about this, if you're U of H, you just said the easiest pass possible. Well, if you're the fourth number one seed instead of the number one number one seed, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. then you're playing against potentially in the elite eight, the number five team instead of the number eight team in the country. And if that means anything to you, that's why I bring it up. I mean, there are upsets typically, but, you know, sometimes it's shock. You know, and, and what I meant to say is, you know, to Kelvin Sampson said it all year, and I agree with him. There's not, there's not a great team in the country. You know, uh, the Cougars themselves. You know, he said they're not a great team yet. They're really good, but they're not great. And for that reason, I just feel like, you know, I'm not worried if it if they're playing a five, if they're playing an eight, if they're playing a three. You know, whatever the case may be, I think the Cougs they're playing as good a basketball as they have all season long you know, for my money. Now, the one area that I do worry about, they're so good defensively, you know, it's almost forgiven a bit because of the offense that their defense does create. Offensively, I do worry about, you know, some stagnation. You know, this is a team that can become very stagnant away from the basketball. The movement, it can completely shut down. The ball movement can completely go away. And I, I do feel like the Cougs, you know, while they can really kind of fill it up from anywhere all over the court, I do worry about that one guy stepping up. But the last week, I really saw Jamal Shedd take his game to a different level, and he facilitates everything as he should. He's a point guard and a great college one, too. I, I think they're going to be clicking on all cylinders like they have been for the last, you know, couple of weeks to, to, to finish this regular season. Conference tournament's important to them. You know, you want to finish on top. You're going to have to probably see Memphis again. You know, that's going to be a tough one. But you get beyond that, you should be riding uh, pretty high going into tournament time. As you and I sit here today, we're talking Thursday night. Uh, I, I, this might be up maybe more Friday morning for the people out there checking us out. But a week from today, we're going to be watching NCAA March Madness. I can't yeah. wait for that. We're going to have seatings all set up so we will know something by our Next show, you and I, Sean, on Monday. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, why aren't we talking about the Rockets? We haven't talked about the Rockets in a while. I promise I will have a Rockets show with my guy, Frank 
with Rockets Chop Shop by Monday. So look for that uh, show. We're going to talk a little about what's going on big picture wise, not necessarily what's been going on the last couple of weeks as much, but we're going to talk some big picture rocket stuff because there's definitely some big picture stuff to get into as they get closer and closer to the end of the season and trying to turn this whole ship around. But uh, look forward to that. Any last words, Sean? Oh, man, just let's go Cougs. I'm looking forward to a wall-to-wall basketball every day, all day here uh, in the next few days. So uh, can't wait for that to start. And stop worrying so much about the Astros, man. Don't lose any sleep over that, certainly with uh, some individual guys. They'll be fine. They're the greatest team on the planet right now, and they're going to do it again this year. It's a process. Yeah, don't look at me. I ain't losing any sleep on the Astros. Uh, Losing a lot of sleep. (laughs) On a couple other teams in town, but not not the Astros for sure. Uh, thanks a bunch. We'll do this again on Monday. Talk to you later. Yes, sir. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.